identify stakeholders is in the stakeholder knowledge area and the initiating process group. So we do this as soon as we have a project charter. As soon as we have a project charter, we identify all of the people and groups that are associated with our project. So how do we do this? Well, we take a look at the charter because there may be some information regarding some key stakeholders on the charter. We go back and we look at previous documentation from other projects. We just have an idea of uh, this type of project in our organization. That's how we identify stakeholders. And with this process, we're really going to be able to get started on having a successful project because we'll know who needs to be involved and communicated with and engaged. We'll also know their level of influence, their level of interest so that we can communicate appropriately. But ultimately, we'll have this starting point so that we're going to be able to collect the requirements and identify the risks and really get into what are we creating here and what are the expectations regarding what a successful deliverable is. There I was in my cubicle minding my own business, or so I thought thinking I was doing what was right, focusing on the tasks at hand in my project. Before that incident, I had seen this character meandering through the stairways, walking down the corridor, and I wondered, who's he? I've never seen him before. Well, I went back to my business and ignored this character who I had seen on several occasions. On one incident, I saw this character go into an office and sit down behind a desk, but that office belonged to someone else, a lady who I knew to be the boss of the current project I was on. That fateful day, as I continued my work in my cubicle, all of a sudden, I heard a loud voice coming from that office. It was him, the guy I had seen so many times walking up and down. And what came out of his mouth absolutely surprised me. Who the heck is Phil? I've not even seen that guy anywhere. He doesn't even tell me about his projects, doesn't tell me how things are going. I can't even believe you put this character on the project. Lo and behold, I learned the hard way that there was a new sheriff in town and I had done very poorly about identifying the new sheriff, my new stakeholder. Welcome to the world of Identify Stakeholders. On many an occasion, you could totally blow past your main stakeholders without even knowing, except you're educated through expert judgment and associations with other stakeholders who your true stakeholder is. I found out the hard way. By then, it was almost too late to make amends, but I did the best I could to make a good impression. I did the best I could to immediately come forward, identifying myself as the one in charge and the person who should have done due diligence to find out who was who. Anyway, I ended up being able to synergize and get this stakeholder's trust through casual conversation. Casual conversation in the cafeteria of all places, queuing up for food, is where we began to synergize and began to know more about this stakeholder. 
Identify stakeholders is the process of identifying your project stakeholders regularly, making sure that you're analyzing all the documentation regarding their interests, regarding their involvement, and if there's no existing documentation like in a project charter or some other document, as a PM, one should ensure that one asks the right questions. Yes, there may not be a contract to identify these people. There may not be a charter. There may be no business case. But how about starting off with good old expert judgment? Expert judgment could be derived from any of the existing stakeholders on the project, the project sponsor or other folks who are already engaged on the project and know who to involve. That's what it's all about. So in this process, the first thing you want to do is begin asking questions. Who could this project affect? The thing about identify stakeholders is it's not a one-time deal. This happens all throughout the project and we need to get it started early. And once it gets started, it needs to be repetitive through every phase and every stage. The question should be asked, are there more stakeholders? Are there more people who could affect the project? Don't be like Phil, who discovered midway after my predecessor had handed over to me the project, then... I should have started the process all over again of asking who could this thing affect. But I didn't know any better. Now I do. So again, at the start of every phase, when there's a significant change on the project, when there has been a change in management, a change in departmental management, or a change in company management, that will be a perfect time to ask the question, who else have I forgotten about? And the person to ask, the people to ask, are the existing stakeholders. Now, the existing stakeholders, going straight into the inputs here, can be derived from the project charter. The project charter identifies the key stakeholder list, and the key stakeholder list has a listing of existing stakeholders and perhaps even a bit about their responsibilities. So this could be a great starting point to build on regarding information about these stakeholders in the stakeholder list and then begin to use them to recruit or identify other stakeholders that can be impacted by the project. In addition to this, the business case should be an input here under business documents. Now business documents also includes the benefits management plan, but why do we need both of these documents? Well. The business case can be used to identify the objectives of the project and an initial list of stakeholders that the project affects. And if that's not direct, we can still deduce that from the business case. As far as the benefits management plan is concerned, it describes what the plan is for harvesting those benefits on the project long after the project has been delivered in some instances. It could identify any individuals, groups, or entities that could benefit from the delivery of the project's deliverable. For that reason, we need to consider those folks as stakeholders. How do you know how to run this process? Well, this is an initiating, so on the first go-round, there's no project management plan, as it were. But on second, third, fourth, and beyond iterations, there exists the stakeholder engagement plan. 
and the stakeholder engagement plan should be updated to reflect how best to carry out stakeholder identification. For that reason, on subsequent iterations of this process, the project management plan is an input, majorly because it contains the stakeholder engagement plan and also the communications management plan regarding how best to communicate with stakeholders is in the project management plan. So where one exists, it should be an input to this process. The next input is project documents. Project documents to expect as relevant inputs here are one, the change log, because it could introduce a new stakeholder to the project. New stakeholder logs change request. Change request gets logged into the change log along with the new stakeholder's name or the unidentified stakeholder's name. That becomes relevant here as we identify stakeholders. Also the issue log. Identifying issues could introduce new stakeholders. And also the requirements documentation. Requirements documentation could provide information leading to the identification of new stakeholders. In other words, potential stakeholders could exist in the requirements. It's the job of the PM and the team to bring those out. The next input is a no-brainer, agreements. What happens if you've got external clients with which you have contracts? Or what happens if you have vendors with whom you have contracts? So either way you look at it, the parties of an agreement are project stakeholders. The agreement could also give rise to identifying more stakeholders. The next input is EEFs, Enterprise Environmental Factors, Organizational Culture, Political Climate, Government or Industry Standards, Global, Regional and Local Trends, and Geographic Distribution of Facilities. The final input is Organizational Process Assets. These are potential inputs here, things like the Stakeholder Register Template, if any, instructions for that register template, stakeholder registers from previous projects to help us glean possible stakeholders, lessons learned repository with information about the preferences, actions, and involvements of stakeholders in the past. The tools and techniques need no introduction. Expert judgment, we already know. This expertise could come from anywhere in the firm. But as you identify stakeholders, having someone that understands the politics and the powers at play in the firm and has firm knowledge regarding the environment in the firm, the culture in the firm and other affected organizations, not just the performing organization and the customer, this could be extremely useful in identifying stakeholders. Knowledge of the industry, knowledge of individual team members, their contributions and expertise could really help the project manager better identify stakeholders. The next tool and technique here is data gathering. Data gathering here refers to ways data could be gathered about stakeholders. And this could include questionnaires and surveys, one-on-one -on -one reviews, focus group sessions, or other mass information collection techniques. And we could also use brainstorming. And under brainstorming, we have two sub-bullets here. One is brainstorming itself, which everyone knows 
it's a general data gathering and creativity technique. We could have free form brainstorming or more directed brainstorming. And the second bullet is brain writing. It's a refinement of brainstorming that allows individuals to consider options before stepping into the brainstorming session. So questions are sent out in advance for participants to consider the answers before coming to the brainstorming session. The next tool and technique is data analysis. And here we're talking specifically about stakeholder analysis, which is analyzing the stakeholders to better identify their roles in the project, what their stakes are, their expectations, their attitudes, their level of support or resistance and information regarding the project. So as you carry out a stakeholder analysis, you want to ask the questions, how are the person's interests affected? How are their rights affected? Regarding the project, does the person have legal title to an asset within your project or property on your project? How about knowledge? What kind of knowledge have they got regarding the project outcomes? Contribution. What have they or can they contribute by way of funds or resources to the project? Lastly, we have document analysis, and this is where we review other available project information and lessons learned to identify new stakeholders and other supporting documentation. In previous editions of the PMBOK guide, there was strong coverage visually of a tool known as the Power Interest Grid. Now, the Power Interest Grid is still mentioned in our next tool and technique. In fact, let's go there. This is called Data Representation. Now, under Data Representation, we have the Power Interest Grid or Power Influence Grid or Impact Influence Grid. And these are all ways to assess and analyze what the power of certain stakeholders is in an organization, what their interests are, what their influence is. Because remember, power versus influence, these are two different things. Level of power could be looked at in a hierarchical fashion in the firm, looking at their position, their level of authority, which is different from influence. Influence is not always about power or about people's position on the org chart. You could have people who are very influential in certain settings. For example, in union settings, a union boss, for example, could be not that high on the organizational ladder. Influence is different from power. Now, on different projects, we may need to analyze these different positional concepts. On a scale of 0 to 10, what is their power? 0 to 10, what is their influence? On a scale of 0 to 10, what kind of impact could they make on the project? Visual representations of this data could greatly help the project manager and the team analyze how to effectively manage these stakeholders' engagement. What is the level of power and corresponding level of interest? High level of power, high level of interest means I need to manage these stakeholders closely compared to someone that just has a high level of interest but no power or someone that has a high level of power, no interest. The strategies could all be very different. In previous editions of the PMBOK guide, plotting the level of power on the y-axis and the level of interest on the x-axis could give the strategy, monitor those at the bottom left, keep satisfied, 
top left, manage close top right, and keep informed bottom right. So depending on where a stakeholder is in terms of their level of power and interest, we could adopt certain strategies. The higher the power and the higher the interest and the higher the influence, the more attention we need to pay to these stakeholders. Still under data representation, another technique exists. And this technique is the stakeholder cube. It's a refinement of the grid models previously discussed, such as power and interest. It takes it up a notch. It gives it a third dimension. So you could have power, interest, and attitude. And based on the attitudes of these stakeholders, whether they are supportive or not, we could look at them as a blocker or a backer. We could also look at them as being active or passive. We could also look at them as being influential or not. So the stakeholder queue presents a very robust representation of stakeholders and their attitudes, power, interest, and so on. Understanding stakeholders from these perspectives will better help the project manager and the team in managing these stakeholders and communicating with them proactively. The next bullet here addresses the salience model. Now on the surface, salience means prominent or noticeable or important. The PMI have documented this in a few papers and one paper that comes to mind is titled Got Steak? And in this paper, documentation exists regarding the details of the salience model. I'll read directly. It says, most stakeholder power influence impact analysis tools take a look at a two-dimensional grid-based approach, the stakeholder classification. However, Mitchell, Agle, and Wood, 1997, in their salience model, proposed that three parameters, power, legitimacy, and urgency, be used to classify stakeholders instead of only two. Power is the stakeholder's ability to influence the outcome of an organization, deliverable, or project. Legitimacy is the stakeholder's authority or level of involvement on a project. And urgency is the stakeholder's expectation for responsiveness to their requests or needs. By using the three salience parameters, stakeholders can then be classified into one of eight types. These eight types of classification are as follows. 1. Latent. 2. Discretionary. 3. Demanding. 4. Dominant. 5. Dependent. 6. Dangerous. 7. Core. And 8. Non-stakeholder. The understanding is that these identifications will better help analyze the stakeholder and therefore effectively plan the engagement. Still under data representation next, we have directions of influence. And this classifies stakeholders according to their influence on the work of the project or the project team itself. Upward refers to senior management. Downward refers to the team or specialist contributing knowledge or skills. Outward refers to external sources or entities such as suppliers, government departments, public, and so on. 
Sideward refers to peers of the project manager, such as other PMs or middle managers who are in competition for scarce resources. The last bullet here refers to prioritization. Prioritizing stakeholders may be necessary on projects where we've got large numbers of stakeholders. And that concludes data representation. It's a big one, so let's go over that as many times as necessary before the exam. The next technique is meetings, meetings within which we meet to discuss stakeholders and identify stakeholders. Let's go on to the outputs. First output is the stakeholder register. Now the stakeholder register is not just a list of stakeholders. This is a register of various information regarding stakeholders, including identification information, assessment information, and stakeholder classification. So all of this great information and analysis that has been carried out previously, including the data representations, all of this information and what you can infer from this representation becomes part of the stakeholder register. What's the name of the stakeholder? What's their position in the firm? Contact details. What are their requirements? What are their expectations from the project? Which life cycle do they have a large amount of interest? What is their classification? Are they internal, external? Are they neutral or resistors? Are they upward, downward, outward, sideward? And all that great stuff we've talked about previously. The next output is change requests. These are change requests as a result of this process. These change requests, again, need to be processed through the Perform Integrated Change Control process. The next output is project management plan updates. We could have updates to all manner of plans, stakeholder engagement plan being my first one. I'll jump out at the communications management plan, the requirements management plan, and the risk management plan, to mention a few. Also, project documents updates could appear here as an output, and we're talking specifically about the assumption log, issue log, and risk register. Now, remember this is the very first of stakeholder management processes, and for that reason, we expect to see updates as we proceed to this document. So in future processes, you will see stakeholder register in the project documents updates. And that concludes our review of the ITTOs, but let's take it up a notch for what to expect on the exam. Remember, this is an initiating process. And for that reason, you can expect significant presence of these questions on the exam. Now, 13% of the exam from initiating could easily mean 6.5% from this process. 6.5% from this process could easily mean 10 or more questions on stakeholder identification. So I expect that you know your stakeholder analysis really well. Understand the various analyses talked about. Understand the power, interest grid, influence, impact grid, and so on. Understand the stakeholder cube. Get familiar with the salience model. Know all that stuff and what it really means. I remember on previous exams being rather taken aback at how little I had focused on. So focus on this process. Focus on the intricacies. Focus on the subtle 
definitions and subtle differences between terms like power, influence, and so on. All those terms in the salience model that I mentioned, do yourself a favor, look those up, understand the stakeholder cue. It's a new concept in the PMBOK guide, but it's definitely a useful concept. I wouldn't be surprised if you had questions regarding the stakeholder cube or any of those associated terms. And lastly, the stakeholder register is just enormous. It's huge. Understanding it and the difference between the stakeholder list from the project charter, which you use as an input to this, versus the actual stakeholder register is very important. And that concludes our review of this process. I know I haven't mentioned all of the specifics, but be all over it, folks. Six and a half percent is a boatload of marks on an exam like this. It could make or break someone's exam. That's for sure. Let's move on.